0: Welcome to the LTUE podcast, a place to listen to panels you may have missed or relive a few highlights. To learn more about next year's symposium or to purchase tickets, visit ltue.net. And without further ado, on to a session that was recorded at our 2020 symposium. All right, everybody, Uh, welcome uh, to our our little panel. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, character and structure Character-led stories, structure-led stories. We have an awesome, uh, awesome assemblage of, of talent on this panel. Uh, I want to uh, mention my good friend M. Todd Gallaglass, who goes by Michael M. Uh, now, so just so you know. This is really funny. I just want to give you the beginning of one of his bios. Start with raw imagination. Add two parts coffee to every one part whiskey. <laughs> For best results, use Irish or Scottish single malts. Bourbon may result in a volatile mess. <laughs> Pretty sure he's drinking bourbon. No. <laughs> That's how it starts everyone this is about to get a lot more interesting <laughs> yeah, pass, it pass it around. Oh my God, fine oh, I can't offer to other uh, all right. why don't you why don't you briefly tell us about uh, how cool you are how- and like very very briefly All right. <sighs>
1: So, uh, I'm Michael Todd Gallaglass, I uh, publish under the fancy nom de plume of M. Todd Gallaglass as an attempt to foo Google early in my career and it stuck, uh, I have a Bachelor of Arts in uh, Creative Writing, I have a Master in Writing with a focus in, an MFA, Master of Fine Arts in uh, Writing with a focus in Fiction. I am so, I am kind of addicted to letters behind my name now, so I am in my second MFA program on my way to my PhD because I want more letters behind my name on my tombstone than in it. And I have a really long name. Uh, I have been a professional storyteller at Renaissance Fairs, Celtic Festivals. I am an educator. I am the founder of the Geek's Guide to Literary Theory website, geeklittheory.com. And, uh, and I'm awed.
0: I don't see it. (laughs) All right, fine. And I actually have the great pleasure to introduce uh, a new panelist, someone who is coming out with her debut novel. Yeah, and that's uh, Lonnie Forbes. Lonnie Forbes who's sitting next to me and she has the coolest bio that I've seen in a long time. So I'm going to read it. It's short and cool. Lonnie Forbes is the daughter of an ex-drug-smuggling surfer and a librarian, <laughs> which explains her passionate love of the ocean and books. She is a multi-award-winning member of the RWA, SCBWI, and the Idaho Writers Guild. Her debut novel, the first in a YA fantasy trilogy, is coming in 2020 from Blackstone Publishing And they on Tuesday, and they sold out in the dealer's room yesterday, because it had... So give her a little hand. (laughs) Lonnie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um...
2: So I, uh, I've been a teacher of chemistry, physics, and math for the past 10 years, which is really funny because people are always like, but you write fiction? So yes, you can be a science nerd and also creative at the same time. It is possible. Um, so right now, I'm actually working on a master's in um, clinical psychology as well. So I'm kind of a psychology nerd on top of all that.
0: So yes, and this is my first book, and I'm super excited to be here. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> It's awesome to have you. It's great to meet you. Uh, and then our, our next panelist is also, we're, we're getting some new blood on this panel. We're excited to have her, and that's Ashley Goodnow. And uh, she does a lot of really cool world building, and she's into, you know, snappy dialogue and fun. <laughs> so I would, uh, I would love for her to just give a little brief introduction of herself.
3: Um, I'm, hello. I'm Ashley Goodnow, and um, I'm an editor with the Manuscript Doctor. Um, and I write, too.
0: Cool. Thank you so much. Is it Seisei? Yeah. So Seisei has the coolest name on the panel, just so you know. Sorry, Todd. <laughs> I'll allow it. All right. She's a, a, a very accomplished uh, literary agent. Has done a lot of great stuff. Her bio is really cool. Check it out. She's Her clients are killing it. So uh, Seisei, please, would you introduce yourself? Happy
4: to. Um, just a clarification, I'm not an agent.
0: Oh, sorry. A what?
4: I'm not an agent or manager. I do get my clients agents and managers.
0: Oh, okay. I
4: get them jobs. I help them. I kind of do a managerial, a manager's job off the books, but I don't want anyone to know that I do that.
1: So don't tell anyone. Don't
4: tell anyone that I do that. Basically, when they get the success that we're hoping for when they come to me, I help them get their manuscripts or their screenplays. I primarily work in Hollywood. Um, I get their books or their manuscripts submissible so that they are bulletproof and it's impossible to reject their material. So that has a tendency to happen with my clients. So regardless of how much experience they do or don't have, um, I've had them placed with New Line, Fox, CAA, um, Benderspeak, WME, they've won the Page Awards, placed in the Sundance Institute, the Nickel Fellowship, uh, NBC and ABC fellowships, diversity programs, live studios, you name it, <laughs> um, they, they get what they want. My, my novelist clients tend to get the movie options that they want. I'm pretty good at helping them navigate so that their words read on the page. That is an easy, friendly way, a film-friendly way, I say, so that when the executives who are looking whether or not to adapt their work or the filmmakers looking to adapt their work will easily come to the same page. And that page is the page. The writer wants not, it's really as a fan and a nerd myself, I hate it when they hollow out a book just to get it on screen or they, Change the canon for no reason other than nah, uh, devo- development, and somebody had an idea that they thought was awesome. It drives me crazy. So I try to help my writers come up with books that are bulletproof, so that when it goes through the changes and the metamorphoses in production and pre-production, the canon is honored and still retained. So that's what I do. I also write, direct, and produce. And currently. Producing, I just produced a music album, which is a book soundtrack, a cinematic book soundtrack for the Kaladins called the Kaladin soundtrack, which is based on uh, the Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. I've heard of it. Yeah, maybe you've heard of
0: it. So. Who's that?
4: Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's that was sort of a venture, and like, how hard could that be? It's not as hard as making movies, and it wasn't, but it was still a lot of work, but. That's sort of where i'm at now um i'm also venturing into literary finally again first time i did that i was ran out of the room with critique. i couldn't do it <laughs> i'm better at screenwriting over the years i've gotten better and i the last this past year i've had requests from books i submitted something uh, a pitch to something and they said the book that you pitch sounds fantastic we also want you to kind of, we've never done this before but we we want you to write a book about the personal essay you wrote. Will you do that? We'll give you access to anything you want. And I was like, uh, okay. So um, so that's sort of new territory for me. I appreciate everything that I've been learning about the literary world, because that's not quite my cup of tea.
0: That's awesome. Okay, I want you to start trending um, hashtag say, say makes you bulletproof. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. You're full of surprises. You know it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Well, that sets the stage. Hopefully you get a little feeling for the for the panelists. I'm the moderator. My name is Paul Janess. I'm the author of the number one best selling novel uh, co-author, Sakra Intellectual Property, which debuted last year. Thank you for making it number one on Amazon in three categories. It was help- thanks to you all and what happened here last year. That was my friend Zach Hill's uh, novel. He passed away and then uh, Patrick Tracy and I finished the book and all the money goes to his widow. So I appreciate your support so much. I've uh, sold about 20 short stories and novellas. We've got about four novels out. I've edited seven anthologies. I also produce and write and direct uh, rock operas. I've done a few of those. Some of you may have seen the Star Wars rock opera, the first look here a few years ago. The force was strong that night. Um, So now we're going to talk about uh, character versus structure-led stories. We're going to get everybody's kind kind of... ideas and thoughts on it and they're going to let us know how they do it first we're going to do a quick poll of the entire room which includes the panel and you just you have to kind of pick we can we can really do three categories i'm going to i'm going to try for two we're going to try for two are you more of a character-based writer where you just kind of like write the character and like see where they go raise your hand all right all right
1: so so this is the character based
0: character based Character-based, okay. And are you, or are you more of a structure? You know, you kind of set up the structure of the book and then you plug things in, okay, right? And then it's totally fine to raise your hand a third time or are you a mix of both? Okay, excellent, excellent. And is there one right way to do it? No, no, there's not. There's many, many ways to do it. And sometimes they can be superior to others depending on the work, but overall it can, everything can work. So let's just kind of start out with, uh, I, I think I'd actually like to start with my friend Lonnie, actually. Are you okay? You feel like that? Okay. Why don't you tell us about uh, how you did your, the, the structure or character based in Seventh Son, your debut novel. Did you, did you kind of approach it from the main character and just kind of see where it went, or did you have a really strong structure in mind
2: yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, being a psychology major, I, I tend to lean towards the more character based, just because I love if you if you've read Lisa Kron's uh, Story Genius, like I, I love that book, and she talks a lot about the importance of an emotional kind of third rail in your novel. And so for me, I feel like when you tap into the character and really the emotional journey of what the character is going through that really pulls the reader into that kind of emotional investment with the story. So that's kind of where I tend to lead. Um, so The Seventh Son actually started with um, researching the mythology and so I kind of got the general idea for the story. It's Maya Aztec, yeah. It's kind of um, a mix of both, and um I, I took elements from both. And I started with kind of, I designed my world, I designed my magic system, I kind of had all of that stuff in place, but then I started to think about what kind of character would really struggle in a world that is extremely ritualistic, that is extremely rule-based, like you have to follow the rules. And I was like, what kind of character would really struggle in something like that? And I, I would kind of struggle in something like that, personally. <laughs> so a little bit of myself in her, but just... I was like a character that's really going to want to follow her heart as opposed to just following the rules. And so because of that, the story really kind of started to take shape out of what kind of conflicts would be caused by this character that's in a really strict ritualistic, like to the point where they literally believe the rituals are preventing the next apocalypse and then throw a character in there that really struggles with that and wants to be able to follow her heart and kind of questions some of the rituals that are in place. And so that kind of started to lead to where the story would. So I would say it was a lot more character-led, um, but then I always kind of knew what my ending was, so I knew the ending that I was working towards, and then I went back and fit kind of structure to it. So I kind of did both. That's
0: awesome. Yeah. to so I want to I wanna ask you a question. So you see a lot of manuscripts, um, right? So can you, can you kind of talk to us about, um, she brought up a really good point. She knew the ending, She's writing a character-based story, but she knew the ending. As an editor myself, I've edited like 150 published short stories or more. Um, when the writer doesn't know the ending sometimes, it can cause problems when they're doing the character-based thing, and I would love for you just anything you want to say about that. It would be great.
4: Well, it's usually evident by page 23 that you don't know where you're going, um, <laughs> if, if you don't know the ending or not. Can you hear her? Can, can you hear me? I'm, I'm trying to project. <laughs> would you rather, I use the microphone. Okay, that might hurt
1: your ears. So t- page um, 23 specifically.
4: Uh, well, page 23 <laughs> oh, okay. is when I, that's sort of a, okay, I can't, I can't pretend anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, first act is usually, um, the, the first like 20 pages or so, which is what everyone says, submit this. Those are the ones that are just like, this is incredible. And then three pages later, I'm like, what? Okay, that's that we're doing that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then we get about to the halfway mark, and suddenly there are characters doing things. We've introduced a subgenre of humor into our horror, which was not placed in the beginning, so it doesn't quite fit. And then the ending is just like, and now everybody literally is dressed up like Scooby Doo <laughs> at a Halloween party with zombies, and there's a rogue doctor going around, which has nothing to do with what was set up in the first act. Believe it or not, I thought that one had very strong potential to be a made-for-television movie um, if it had been rewritten well, but the writer didn't understand how to do that. And uh, so she was quite resistant to the feedback and the structure that I would give her. That was outside of her comfort zone. Um, So having a good idea, all of those things were really funny. They were just put in the wrong order. Um, knowing where your ending is gonna go she's I called her on it I'm like so when they're doing this thing on page 75 uh, she's like yeah I don't know it's just like they ended up there so she wrote herself into a corner and didn't know how to get out but by that time she really liked the corner (laughs) and it was just a problem so at one point you know it doesn't matter what you do I've got a book that i mean a screenplay that I've just fresh worked on and structure. Structure was the thing. It was an adaptation. It was sort of a well, it was an adaptation, and there a lot of work needed to be done to get that film ready. Um, conversely, one of the books that I that I pitched last year, a, a novel, um, started out as me hearing dialogue from one of my characters and like, what are they doing? Who are these people? Where are they? What is this? where are you going? That's that's interesting. So it's me exploring the world. But then I got to the point where I'm like, okay, I need to structure this. So either door will get you into your story. But when you submit your work, you need to go through both doors to have your script as strong as possible. One way or another, you need to make sure that you are following structure. And literary does have a bit more leeway uh screenplays most certainly do not they're the, like the haiku of western pop culture they they have a very strict format so if you deviate from that you just look ignorant and you won't your script maybe get sold but you will not be hired as a writer and you'll be back to where you were so if you want a job as a writer do the work as the writer so it can be fun exploring your world and then seeing getting surprised by what's there and who's there and seeing what would happen if I put these two together. What would happen if this thing happened in this um, structurally from my world, and they had to interact with that? What would happen? You know, play the what-if game with your with your books, but absolutely do both before you submit. But it doesn't matter how you start. Trust your instincts and yourself. Your story is inside of you. So just getting it out is that's that's the fun part. Structuring it and editing it that's the part that requires some expertise and that's where people who do it over and over again don't scrimp
0: on those thank you um you said something about being in the corner and of course i thought of michael todd gallaglass because he spent a lot of time in the corner (laughs) and Um, i would love for you to actually tell us about your process if you're more of a character structure based and and if what what chant like if you if have you ever written yourself into a corner and then had to try to get out yes
1: because i think all writers do that so one of the things that I I have an I'm I'm an interesting anomaly because I'm a genre guy, but I'm also I have one foot firmly in the literary academic community. I do both. I play around in my genre with uh, in my genre fiction with literary elements because some of them are interesting. And usually, there's a, a really smart poet dude named Richard Hugo wrote a book called The Triggering Towns. And he talks about, uh, and it's a great book, you should all have it, even though it's for poetry, it translates well into writing fiction. And when when you write yourself into a corner, it's usually because the triggering idea for your story is not the real, actual idea for the story. I have one of my students really wanted to write a story about sasquatch in the 1900s in the Pacific Northwest interplaying with the native cultures there and she sent it to me and I said this is a, this is a really cool draft of a story we we can definitely go places with this but why is the sasquatch in it <laughs> and she said well because it's a story about a sasquatch and i said Really? Because the Sasquatch, it's a 25-page a story, and the Sasquatch is on, like, three pages. There's hints of it elsewhere, but if you pull the Sasquatch out, what happens to the story? She goes, oh, I guess I'm going to go write a story about a Sasquatch. And so she took it out, and we're, we're busy. We're still working that story in amongst the other stories that we're working on in her, in her work. So when you get to that point where you've written yourself into a corner and like um, your client had, oh, I really like this, maybe that's really what the story is about, mm-hmm. but um, uh, but you didn't realize that in the beginning, and so you've got to make those choices. And I want to talk about structure for a second, because it, we talk about story structures, and you brought up Lisa Cron. She also mm-hmm. did another one called um, Wired for Story. Yeah which is really good, most of it, except she gets a little preachy on it. Every single thing has yeah. to point to something else in the manuscript. And it's like, no, nah, slow down, Lisa. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, but she's got really smart things to say, but sh- it's not the universal voice. So I'm gonna run down a list of story structures in Western culture that people, when they come to anything story-based, because we've been indoctrinated with these structures from the very first picture book that our parents read us. You have The Hero's Journey, right? You have the two act Hollywood, or no, you have the two act Broadway structure. You have the three act Hollywood structure. You have the four act Aristotelian structure. You have the five act Shakespeare structure. You have the six to seven act premium cable network television show structure. You have the 13-act Netflix binge show structure, and you have the 22-act old-school, like, regular TV season structure, okay? Give or take, depending on the episodes, but these are, study all of them. They all have strengths, they all have weaknesses, and the beauty of them is, is once you understand them on a fairly on a, on a fairly instinctive level, you can start picking bits out of each of them so that you can start with a more traditional Hollywood structure. And as you're getting from the first act of that, even if you're writing a novel, if you're getting out of the, towards the first act of that, then you can go, oh, I want to make this a little different. So you make your second act actually the second and third act of an Aristotelian structure and then finish up with the fifth, uh, fourth and fifth act of a Shakespeare structure and people are still like, they understand it because it's part of the culture. Oh man, I'm, I'm jazzed, I'm in there. Uh, uh, you, people are invested because you're, you're surprising them in a way that they can still feel follow. Who saw the last season of Game of Thrones? <laughs> <laughs> who was happy with it? Yeah. The, the, the people that got paid. Yeah. The, uh, except for some of the actors who were like, wait, there's this petition, yeah, let's go back and redo this. Some of the actors actually said that. Um, uh, they They broke the expectations because they didn't pay attention to the expectations of the various story structures that we as a Western audience have come to expect. You can surprise people, and you should, but when they go back to the beginning, they should be able to see all of that set up. And if you have weird crap go on like that, or or sometimes in Walking Dead they have people be stupid just for the sake of being eaten, even though that that's very different than the character they set up. Yeah. Uh, people people start checking out, and you lose your audience. So studies, even if you're a character, and I am more of of a, a panser discovery gardener, but I I have studied story structure so much because I'm a nerd about every single level of writing, that I can kinda do that so that when something happens, I go, oh, I'm setting something up here. I may not necessarily know what it is, but it's like this is gonna be something, and I'll make a note in my scrivener and say, I gotta come back to this. And usually by the time I get to where it pays off, My subconscious has already said, yeah, I got this. And so I drink my coffee and I write my book.
4: I'm going to tap on to that and agree with everything he just said. (laughs) The editor agrees! The the bulletproof editor agrees! Oh, okay, I'm done. (laughs) And To put it a little more succinctly, if it's not a setup or a payoff, it's a distraction. And distractions in and of themselves can can and should be part of your structure. Red herrings are part of that. But sometimes they're very obviously a a distraction. This is a very obvious red herring. If you can be a bit more deft and get people involved in your characters, they won't care if it's a red herring, because they'll be so involved in what's going on. Sometimes it's not the what of your story, it's the how. How is this person going to get caught? How is this person going to stop the meteor from hitting the, the thing? How is this person going to find the cure? How are these people going to live? How is this person going to to reveal this person's secret and still remain remain friends? How it's you know so plot and structure are the what, but your characters and your world building are, are the how. Those are what's what, what inform the how.
1: But. Right. Be careful. Don't put something in your book and call it a red herring when it's not a red herring. Red herrings are an intentional part of your storytelling, as opposed to that weird thing that you put in because it's self-indulgent and it doesn't go anywhere and people go, but but I wanted to know about that thing.
4: I like that
0: thing. You abandoned the thread. You're like, that didn't really work out, so I'm just not going to mention that again. It
4: comes across yeah. very heavily on the page and it usually will get axed.
0: Okay. Awesome. Well, hey, this has been great. Um, I actually would love to hear uh, from Ashley Goodnow about her her style. If she's more of a structure character based um, writer, and how she's been approaching you know her most recent works, or if you have any comments on all of this great stuff that we've just heard.
3: Okay, so usually I do start with character. Um, And then my structure usually comes from their motivations, what they want, and um, what they want kind of carries them through the story so they're not just, like, meandering around doing whatever. Um, But then, kind of like Sasa was saying, um, after you write it, sometimes you notice there's no structure or you need to um, foreshadow. Um, some things that you kind of see happening in the middle or at the end that no one would see coming. So you go back and, you know, you foreshadow that or, um, hint at things so that it doesn't like look like there's no unity to it at all.
0: That's cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, just I, full disclosure. My nickname at my day job is Mr. Structure, okay? So I'm like the structure guy in a a lot of ways. So I lay the structure down first. I want to bring this point of view a little bit to the the panel because we've just talked about character-based stuff for now. If you don't know where you're going, if you don't know what the inciting event is, if you don't know what the complications are, if you really have no clue where they're going, you might be in trouble. You might not be in trouble. You might be fine. Maybe you're so good, it's going to be great. Or maybe it's just going to wander aimlessly for 60,000 words, and then you're going to have to cut 30,000 and start again. Stephen King. Stephen King. Yeah. (laughs) Don't, please don't look at Stephen King as the model for how new writers should probably approach life. Okay? Because he's he's very self-indulgent for a long, long time. No one can edit him at this point. So just, I love Stephen King, but please be aware. All right? He's, go ahead.
1: I'd take his money.
0: Right, take his money. So if you're... I just want to give the structure thing a little bit. So when you're studying um, all of these um, types of structure, and I want to uh, bring up another type of structure, and it's the Antillian story structure. Antillian. Antillian. It's just pretty much planet goes boom, everyone's dead. Uh, Sorry, Aristotelian made me think of that. I thought Aristotelian. I don't know who says that. You do. Aristotelian. Aristotelian. I need to research that one, everyone. I don't know if you do. Aristotle. Right, I know, but... I just don't know it very well.
1: All y'all are writers. Go read Poetics by Aristotle. It's, it's the thing to do.
0: Okay, I need to get into yeah. that. All right, so, so structure. For the the Sakura novel, which if you, this is a really quick backstory, my friend Zach, he wrote the first draft, 93,000 words, and then he died of a blood clot, and I got the manuscript, I was going to be the editor, and I decided I was going to finish it. He'd written a very exploratory draft of Sakura, this heavy metal singing android. And he was just in her head, like going through fairly sedate chapters where not a lot happened. He was exploring. He was going to write six drafts of this thing. you know, And this was just the first draft. So I had to put structure on the book. I had to figure out what are the inciting events. I had to show the inciting event. I had to show all the bad stuff that was going down. And until we had the structure of the chapters and the book, there really wasn't a viable product. It was a great idea. And my experience is that a lot of pantsers who do character-based stuff have a lot of great ideas and great characters. But there's just the story is kind of lacking, I and mean, is agreeing, because we see this in, in a lot of stuff. So I'm just bringing that up. So I want, I want you all to explore all the different ways to do it, but at the end of the day, you've got to have some kind of structure in your book. If you're writing in Japan, they don't care so much about the American idea of structure, but we're writing in America for the most part, so people care here about the Hollywood kind of structure, or the normal book structure, where there's a conclusion and not four epilogues, like in Lord of the Rings, you know, like that bothers people sometimes. So anyway, I've gone off long enough and I would love for Lonnie to say.
2: <laughs> so even though I am more a little bit character led, I do think, I, I love what you said about knowing structure so well that you kind of naturally already use it. And so that's one of the reasons why, like even as a more character driven writer, I still have studied structure like crazy. Like I have a huge list of books that I would recommend. One of my favorites for especially newer writers, if you haven't heard of it's called save the cat. Oh my gosh, Blake Snyder. And then Jessica Brody actually did an adaptation called Save the Cat Writes a Novel. And I love how she describes different genres of novels in there as well. And it's super helpful. So for me, when I was writing my first book, I studied the heck out of the Save the Cat story beats. And after I did my character-led foofiness, I went back and made sure that my story still hit those character beats and I adjusted where I needed to. But as I'm writing more and more books, I'm realizing that because of all that studying of the structure I've done... As I'm pantsing, I naturally sort of follow structure because I know like, okay, this kind of is what needs to happen next. It kind of, is, this needs to happen next. And so I feel like it is equally important. And like you said, I love how even if you pants, you still need to make sure that at least at the end you have that structure because it is about expectations. And when your audience has certain expectations and then you don't meet those, the audience gets really mad. <laughs> yeah. well,
1: I, I want to I yeah. throw something out about but save Ashley, the cat. You, you go next. Yeah because it's got a lot of good information. But what's happening is because it's one of the current big fad craft of writing books, Mm -hmm. uh, people are overdoing. But like they go, I have to have every beat from Save the Cat. And you don't have to. They're guidelines. They're tools. It's to help you focus where your story is going. But if everybody's writing. So how many people read fantasy, right? How many people have read that fantasy where, hey, this guy's name is different, but I've, 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 I've been along this character's journey before, even if it's a different, who's, who's in it? Where the, where the magic is a little different, but oh my god, it's a small town, and the, the wizard comes in, regardless of gender or how the magic works, and now we're gonna go on a quest, and then there's the non-human bad guys, how many people have read that, right? Yeah. More than a couple times. Uh, it. Be careful of write of writing directly to this the story beats mm-hmm. because you're going to be yet another one of those ones where I was reading a story, in my MFA in fiction, and I uh, it was a fantasy story that I had fought to, kind of fought to get into my reading list, <laughs> um, and. I threw it across the room and said, Hey, can I go read something by Chinese Mielville instead? <laughs> um, so be remember, all these craft books, they are all guidelines. guidelines. Not right, yes. they're they're <clears throat> so yeah, so if you do Save the Cat and it's and Save the Cat writes a novel, they're excellent and you should look at them and check them out. But don't just go, oh, there's the beat there's the beat, yeah. there's the beat, because then you have yet another fantasy book that reads like all the fantasy books. Are,
4: I would say, Blake, in particular, um, Blake's work is very much the broad strokes. Um, if you are just writing a broad stroke story, no matter what medium or format it's in, you will come across as cliché, because that's really all he's doing, is giving you little anchors. For you to identify pieces of your story with, and then refine on your own. But if, but for sure, and and his work is a bit dated as well. He wrote his memo for Save the Cat back in the '90s, and um, he passed away a few years ago. And thankfully, everyone is still updating, and his work still applies because the elements, the tools, the story still apply. But even when I read his book way back when, I'm like, this is a bit, you know, generic. He's like well that's the idea it's poor entry level if you you need to it lacks the finesse that a proper story would have so it's a great great tool um and if you find inspiration from it for sure but then not, don't treat anything that anybody says as a lot
1: except me, <laughs> except me. <laughs> right <laughs>
4: But really, it's, it's your story, and these are simply here to help you. As they said, the code is more like guidelines.
0: You know? Yeah. We're going, we're going Jack Sparrow. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I think people like to write down stuff on lists, and, and tips are good. We like tips. Everybody likes tips. People are out there taking notes. So I would love the panelists, uh, in no particular order, although, Ashley, if you have some tips, you're welcome to jump right in. Um, tips on, on what to avoid, you know when you're when you're writing your stories, when you're thinking about character versus structure based, or just you know really anything on on this topic to help some of our writers out there who are maybe newer to this game. Any and you know say say you're gonna you're gonna f- close this one out, okay? So do um, you want to try some? Do you have any tips?
3: Um, okay, so it helps when you're doing your ending to look at your beginning, um, see what you opened up there, what loose ends you need to tie up. Um, also um, look at what promises you're making at the beginning. And if you are, um, basically fulfilling those promises throughout the story, especially by the ending.
2: Yeah. I'll throw in, um, one of the most important questions that I like to ask as I'm writing is just the question, just like you said, the question, how is I think the question, why, um, understanding character motivations and, and not just character motivations, even like is your world building and designing your world. Like why, why is this in place? Because I get super irritated when an author will just, well, I'm going to have these characters go here. Why? I don't know because I need them here. And it's like, no, you need to have a very specific reason as to why. Um, because if you want the reader to believe why this is happening and to follow along with the story, there has to be good motivations as to why is this character doing this? If this character, if you've established who this character is, make sure that they stay consistent with that. And if you're going to have them do something crazy, Give them a really good reason and motivation as to why they're choosing to do that. Same with the world. If you're going to design a world that has this particular way of doing something, why? What is it about that culture or that world that you've designed that that why do they do this? There has to be a good reason. And that's where I think really getting into character motivations um, is is super important. So for me, I'm constantly asking myself the question of, okay, this character is going to do this, but why? Why are they doing this? And just that's one of the most important things I feel like you can do.
1: Uh, so I, I have I have two. Uh, one's uh, a structure is understand the difference between plot and conflict.
0: Ooh, yeah. That's good.
1: Yeah, <clears> that's <throat> $100,000 to the United States government to, for me to learn that. <laughs> um, and now you have it for just coming to a convention. So conflict is when your protagonist is in opposition to some other aspect of the story okay Who, who's heard that like the seven classic plots mm-hmm.
0: yeah. boy meets conflicts. girl yeah those man versus plots. machine
1: those are conflicts okay. plot is the logical sequence of events and reaction from the beginning of your story to the end of your story okay so an event happens Character reacts. That reaction causes another event, which causes another reaction, beginning to end. And that's where the story structures come in. The story structures help guide you through those, those events and reactions, right? You have your inciting incident. Character makes a choice. They come into opposition with the antagonist. There's the complication, usually because the character doesn't know something, blah, 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 blah. Go study your story structures. You'll understand it. Conflict comes. Or conflict creates plot.
0: Yes. Ooh, I like that. I like. That.
1: Conflict mm-hmm. creates plot mm-hmm. because without conflict, your character. And so this is so this is why it, because of my two my my, two, my feet equally in uh, two different camps of writing genre and literary. Y'all, go read some really good literary fiction, and I'll give you one. A Visit from the Goon Squad by Jennifer Egan. It's hands down my all-time favorite book. Uh, It's thinly disguised science fiction as literary, uh, sociological science fiction. Read that so you can learn how to make your writing pretty. And when I go to literary events, I say, Yo, yo, y'all go, you all go read some genre fiction so you understand how plot works. Because I have a belly button. I don't need to read your character navel-gazing at their belly button because mine's pretty cool and I'm okay with it. Alright? So read widely so you can understand. The other thing... What was the other thing I was going to do as a Oh, relationships.
0: Yes.
1: Relationships create... So you have characters and relationships with both other characters and their environment and create. so uh, conflict creates plot. Relationships create conflict. And if you get that equation down and put that into your work, people will will buy into what's going on. How many of you have said there's conflict, but where, where did this come from, right, And something you've read? It's because the relationships
0: aren't established. say, bring us home a little bit. I would say uh, there are two
4: things as well. Don't take your uh, character's vulnerabilities. For granted. Um, their vulnerabilities are your vulnerabilities and characters are sneaky little people. They will give you an answer and you know the answer is right I'm going to do this thing My like oh, you're doing this thing why are you doing this thing? the reasons behind it they lie like they are lying. It takes about six or seven times of delving into your characters before they will give up the goods of what they're really doing and why. The emotional link or yes they're really poisoning someone or um uh whatever it is they're doing if you aren't surprised by what your characters are doing or if you aren't emotionally moved by what they are doing and what they reveal to you it takes some excavation. so do give some time as you're developing your story to really just maybe don't believe them. Don't take them at face value. Because that's where the good stuff is. As if you, as the writer, are surprised by what your characters are saying and doing and for the real reasons why, that will be compounded when your, your readers read your book as well. Um, your job is to make sure that that's woven together in a way that makes sense, that is presented, and that that information is given in the right order in the right way. But your stories are full of vulnerabilities. So make sure that what you're doing is honoring that and excavating that and getting to the truths and the nuggets, whether it's with world building, whether it's with secrets, whether it's behind a conflict in a character. Why do these characters rub each other the wrong way? Maybe it's not the reason. Maybe these characters have everything in common, and the conflict is they want the same thing for completely different reasons. It can be as simple as that, but those reasons are very important. So excavate your work and your characters and make sure you don't take for granted just the surface level of what they're telling you because there's usually more to a book than that.
0: Brilliant. We've got about three and a half minutes left. It's only forty-five minute sessions. We probably don't have time for questions. Although some of us are going to hang out afterwards, so you can come talk to us in the hall. and We can answer, you know, some of your questions there. Just find us around the convention, talk, ask questions. Because I know this brought up some questions out there. Um, I want to give one tip, and then I want everybody to kind of do their final thought, which should be short, and also tell us, you know, where they can find you, where they can, you know, maybe see you again today, or just, you know, whatever, something like that. So my my uh, my thought on all of this is, and I. I I constantly say this at this convention, which is your character should not be a leaf blowing on the wind, okay? My first drafts, the character is a leaf and the wind just blows it and they go here and there and it's they're not choosing where they're going because I'm pantsing it sometimes, right? Your character needs to be the wind sometimes. They need to choose where they go and what they do. Some of that is structure, so if your characters are just, if you're pantsing it and they're just not really, they don't, you don't really know where they're going. They don't know where they're going. Readers pick up on that and they get a little bored sometimes. So that's my tip for you. So I just love the panel in the last um, two minutes we have left. to so Just kind of give a final thought and tell us where we can find you. Why don't we start with Michael?
1: Anything that wants that makes you want to start writing is good advice for you. Anything that makes you not want to write, you need to ignore immediately because that's not good advice for you.
0: Okay? Brilliant. That was free. Lonnie.
2: I just kind of want to end with um, reiterating the importance of, like I said, goal, motivation, and conflict. I really, truly believe that at its heart, stories are about conflict and relationships, and I just, I do think that is such an important part, and if you can really harness that, one of my favorite quotes by Robert Frost is, no tears in the author, no tears in the reader, or something like that, and so you really need to, you need to, as the author, feel what's happening in your story because if you don't feel it, your reader's not going to feel it, so that's important. say. <laughs>
4: There are two things that you need with with any story, and that's smarts and heart. You need to be smart about your approach to writing, about how you do your research with your writing, about how you present your writing, about your strategies for submitting not just one, but hopefully several. Um, But you also need to have heart in your story. If you don't put your heart and your soul into your words, We're just reading dry pages in formats and structures that we're all familiar with. It's you and your voice that will stand out. I have written screenplays that Christopher Nolan wrote one that was beat for beat, just like mine. And I went, hey, I can do that. And he did it. I felt validated. Also like, (laughs) But I also felt validated that I was on the right path. I've had a client send me a work that was beat for beat on the page exactly like a screenplay I was currently writing. But her voice and her medium were so different. See, it doesn't matter. And that's the thing. It don't worry about people stealing your ideas. People should be stealing your ideas. If your ideas aren't worth being stolen, then like, you need to ask your game. But it's your voice that cannot be stolen and that that is yours everything else is tools to help you so honor your material get into your characters in your world don't take their first words for granted be surprised by your own work and bond with it put your heart into the words because then we will be entertained we will feel for the characters and we will want to know <clears> more <throat> about you and about your work
0: let's give michael Todd Gal- 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 Glass. Lonnie Forbes, Ashley Goodnow, St. St. Norris, a big hand. Thank you so much for coming. We'll talk to you in the hallway. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>